Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus and also Colossians. If you'd like to follow along, there are Red Pew Bibles in front of you. Exodus is where you're going to find the Ten Commandments, chapter 20. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 4, 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye, their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. we continue through the Ten Commandments, we are halfway done. Let's pray as we prepare to talk about this text. God and Father, I come to you this morning and pray that you might be speaking to all of us as our Heavenly Father, teaching us to be obedient children to your word. Pray that you might be with all of us sinners as we sit under your word, and be with me, a sinner, as I seek to proclaim it pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as a lot of you know and have asked us about, uh, a little earlier this year, Elizabeth and I got to spend a week and a half in Japan, and it was a sweet time. We were visiting two couples we were friends with in Tokyo. We got to eat lots of noodles and raw fish and raw horse at one point in my case. Um, But it was also just one of those fun times for me to reflect on how different our cultures are. Japan is a culture that is deeply ingrained with sort of norms of honor and respect and communal identity. You can see it in really, um, in really beautiful ways. Like, I think about, we rode the Tokyo Metro, which is insanely busy. Everyone rides trains in Japan. Of the, the 50 busiest train stations in the world, all but six of them are in Japan. And we would pass through, like, the busiest station in the world and at rush hour at a few points. And people were so packed into these cars that you could, like, lift your feet up and you would just be held there because everyone's pressed together. And it was silent. No one would talk above a whisper. No one would make any noises or be on their phone because they had this sense of respecting each other and not, you know, not bothering each other. Or I think about how one of my friends, um, he lost a wallet with 
the equivalent of a couple hundred dollars in it because Japan's still largely cash-based. And the police showed up at his door the next day with the wallet because someone had turned it in, which apparently is a normal thing that happens every day in Tokyo. Um, and there's challenging parts of that communal identity, too. Uh, there were a few times when I saw someone kind of mess up in some way, like cause some delay or some hiccup, and that look of shame on their faces was heartbreaking. We shouldn't pretend, you know, like there aren't hard things about that kind of culture. But at the same time, I can't help reflecting just on, like, we were both stunned that in Tokyo, a city of 26 million people, the largest city in the world, um, all children from the age of five up walk to school alone without their parents every day, and nothing bad happens because they have just this sense of, you know, everyone looks out for each other and um, protects and cares for these kids. And there was something beautiful there. I say all of that because that is this one cultural world with good and bad parts of it. And that is not the world that we live in in the United States. We are like the opposite culturally. We are deeply individualistic. In Japan, people just assume that you owe these debts to your family and to society. And who you are is really made up of what you know groups of people you're in. Here, um, we are a nation who is deeply against that, honestly. I mean, and not just, that's not a new thing, right? Like, our, our origin story rests in deciding we didn't want to pay the king taxes anymore and going to war with him. We've always been a nation about rebelling against authority. And that's only become more pronounced over the years so that, right? I mean, not even recently, the cultural myth for most of us growing up was like, what it means to become an adult is that you like get your leather jacket and buy your motorcycle and ride off into the sunset, right? Tell, tell the old man to leave you alone. That is deeply ingrained in our culture. And because of that, we, I think, are particularly not primed to think about something like this fifth commandment. When it starts off with the word honor, right, and has to do with our identity together as part of a group of people, we need to be especially attentive to the ways it might challenge us. But with that said, let's just turn first and look at the commandment in its specific sense. Let's just read it again. It says, Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. First, let's notice a couple specific things about that commandment. One, although we might miss this, is that it's a command to honor both fathers and mothers, which we might say, duh, that's obvious. But actually, in, ancient, in the ancient world, that was revolutionary. Because there are lots of examples of other, like, legal kind of codes of the ancient world that tell people to honor their fathers. But this is the only one that um, gives mothers an equal place of honor in the family. And in fact, scripture regularly honors mother in a way that's different from its surrounding world. For example, in Leviticus, it even lists mothers first. It says, each of you must respect your mother and your father. Then the second thing to notice, just going back to that commandment, is that what we're supposed to do to them is honor them. And like we said, that's a weird word for many of us in America. And the word literally means, it comes actually from the word that means heavy. And it means to treat them with an appropriate weight. Which is that we're supposed to see their role in our lives as weighty and meaningful. And we're supposed to act toward them in a way that reflects that weightiness that they're supposed to carry. And the third thing to notice about this specific commandment is that there is not an age limit placed on it. It does not say, children, honor your parents. And that is important. I mean, absolutely, young people, you are included in this commandment. 
And in some ways, it's going to have special relevance for you because you still live under your parents' authority. But this commandment applies to everybody in Israelite society and in the church. We're all, even though it might look different at different points, called to honor our father and mother. And then one final note about the specific commandment is that it comes with a promise. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The idea seems to be that as Israel keeps this commandment, they will endure in the promised land. God will particularly bless their honoring of their parents. We're going to get into a little more detail about that in a minute. But first, we just need to say, in some ways again, because of our cultural place, that this commandment is treated as a big deal within the law of Moses. Like we said, in America, we tend to view rebellion as like the baseline, um, a natural part of growing up. It's a sign that you've become an adult, that you tell your parents where to stuff it. But in the law of Moses, for example, from Leviticus, consider this. If anyone, for anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death, he has cursed his father or his mother, his blood is upon him. Now, cursing there is not the same thing as, like, staying out past curfew. It seems to be about a specific kind of public attacking and dishonoring of parents. But that sort of public attack on one's parents was a capital offense in ancient Israel. Or this from Deuteronomy. It's the same thing. It says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him And bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate. And then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Again, that is not just about breaking a rule once or twice. That is a sort of posture of unrepentant rebellion and refusal of correction. But again, it resulted in um, being executed. And it's a shall there for the stone him to death, not a may. It's a command. So that means that God apparently views this sort of rebellion as a big deal. So then the next natural question we have, I think, is why? Why on earth would you treat disrespecting, disobeying one's parents with that kind of seriousness? And there are really two levels to that answer. The first level is that within the people of God, faith is normally transmitted through family. The first part of why scripture holds this as important is because it understands that within God's people, the normal way faith gets transmitted is through families. Uh, Parents are supposed to raise their children to follow the Lord. For example, in the book of Deuteronomy, God speaks about the importance of his word, and he says this. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So he says godly parents should be constantly, right, all the time, teaching their children the word of the Lord. And then it goes on to say this. Here's why it says to do this, going on in Deuteronomy. It says, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Does that sound familiar? 
That's because that's the promise here of the fifth commandment, that the idea is that as you teach your children to follow the Lord and trust in his word, that's how that blessing of longevity in the land was to come about. So within that structure, it makes sense to say that children need to honor and obey their parents because that's the way that they learn how to follow the Lord and be Christians. But of course, the world doesn't always work like that. And even in ancient Israel, it didn't always work like that. And so we might say, yeah, but that doesn't always happen, right? Parents don't always raise their children in that way. And that's where the second layer of why Scripture commands this is. That is that when Scripture addresses authority, it almost always seems to say two things at once. One is that it says that authorities should behave a certain way, and they have certain obligations, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the second thing it says is that even when those authorities fail to keep those obligations, generally, there are a few exceptions, but generally it is still right for us to honor and respect them. Because it's still better to do that than the opposite. Um, So, for example, even an unjust government in Scripture is worthy of a certain sort of honor. So in Peter's first letter, he's writing to a church that's being actively persecuted by the government. But he says this. He says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Even as they're being persecuted, he says, Treat these people respectfully and honor them. So that's the biblical idea, both that there's this ideal way that we see families working, and also even when they don't work that way, that generally we need to honor the, you know, the people in authority over us. Um, But then obviously the next question is, but what does that actually mean, right? What does it actually mean to honor our parents? And to answer that, I think we really need to answer two questions because of that distinction we just made. First, I want to talk about what it looks like to honor faithful parents, and then I want to talk about what it looks like to honor unfaithful parents. First of all, what does it mean to honor our parents when they're being faithful? And by faithful, I do not mean perfect, right? Every parent is a sinner who's going to do things wrong and sin against their kids and fail in different ways. But parents that seek to be faithful to this charge, to try to raise their kids well and teach them about Jesus— What does it mean if we are in that relationship with our parents to honor them? Well, first, if we still live in our parents' household, it does mean that we obey them. Now, that changes when we become adults, but I know plenty of us, there are plenty of kids, teenagers here that still live in your parents' homes, and um, and the reality is that our parents have a real authority over us when we live in their homes. They feed us and clothe us and provide a place for us to live, and we're kind of under their domain— and so if that's your situation, then, um, then part of our calling is to obey them. Now, they cannot overrule God's law, and we'll talk about that in just a minute under unfaithful parents. But barring that, um, we should do what they tell us to do, even if we think it's unreasonable. Even if curfew seems really early and we don't understand why we can't watch more TV, we should obey them. Then, like we said, this commandment is not only for children— It also um, is for adults. In fact, we should just note, one of the dangers is that I think oftentimes discussions of the fifth commandment turn into kids these days discussions, right? Where we're like, well, I wish that, you know, kids these days did this the way we always did. So consider this quote, first of all, all right? Um, The children 
this person said, now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, show disrespect for elders, and love chatter in place of exercise. They are now tyrants, not the servants of their household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. Right? We hear that and we think, yeah, kids these days, right? Except that's a quote attributed to Socrates (laughs) some 2,400 years ago complaining about kids in his day. And in fact, honestly, I'm not going to put them all up here, but I sat down for this sermon, and I found quotes um, by by different public figures from the 1920s and 1950s and 60s and 80s and today, all complaining about how this next generation of kids is going to ruin the world, and they're terrible, and they don't know how to honor their parents. And unless I missed anything, that means that all of our parents thought that we were terrible at keeping the fifth commandment. So we should bear that in mind, right? But that said, as adults, um, because this applies to us too, honoring our parents means a few different things. The biggest thing it means is just respect, that we should seek to treat them in a way that is respectful and brings honor to their name. We should do that privately as we talk to them. We should do it publicly in how we speak of them. We should be quick to, to hold up their strengths and cover over their weaknesses. Um, If we have kids, a big part of honoring our parents is letting them be grandparents and inviting them into that role. Um, And that means we need to teach our kids to treat our parents with honor and respect as well. And, you know, and that they might reflect this commandment to them. And then as our parents age, part of honoring them means that we recognize that just as they sacrificed and cared for us when we were young, that we are called to sacrifice and care for them as they get older. Now that... That looks different in different settings and for different parents, right? But all of us owe our parents a debt in a real sense that we are called to repay as they age. All of those things are part of honoring our parents. And that provides kind of a general picture for us of what it means. But we also have to recognize that the world is broken by sin. And that includes our families. And there are significant ways that some of us can struggle. I mean, all of us can do this imperfectly. All parents are sinners. But as different sorts of sins increase in those relationships, we can struggle more. So then let's also talk about what it means to honor unfaithful parents. Uh, Parents who in different ways have been unfaithful to their calling. And let me try to speak to that in a couple of ways. But first, the general calling is this. It is generally that we should honor our parents as much as we can within the limits created by their sin. We should honor them as much as we can within the real limits sometimes created by their sin. For instance, there are situations where parents tell us to do things that violate God's law. Uh, I mean, I had a friend in college who, um, he had became a Christian and loved Jesus and met this girl who had become a Christian and loved Jesus that we were also friends with and they decided to get married and they went to talk to her father which is good, right? They're trying to honor her parents in that process. And, um, and he said that he would not bless their marriage unless they spent some years living together and trying it out first, which is not what God's law commands. And, um, and here's how my friend and his now wife responded, which I think is correct. They said, look, we love you and want you to be a part of this process, but here's what God calls us to do, and this is what we're going to do, and we want you to understand why we're doing it, understand we want to respect you, but that we're not going to do what you're telling us to do. And we're going to get married whether you bless it or not. Um, 
They showed as much honor to them as they could in how they responded to him. But they recognized that God is the highest authority, right? In all of this, as we're going to discuss in a minute, God is the ultimate authority. And so ultimately they have to obey him. And there are other situations where we can also struggle to honor our parents. Sometimes their sin can cause barriers to our relationship. Um, All parents are sinners, like we said, but some of them sin in ways that are particularly hurtful to us or even dangerous to us. Um, And that means that while while we want to be quick to forgive, we also recognize that we need to be responsible for our children, for ourselves, in the ways we sometimes relate to our parents. Um, Again, that general principle, honor them as much as you can, is still what applies to most of those situations, but sometimes there the principle is going to put more constraints. I think about, for example, um, I grew up with a um, grandfather who has now passed away, but who, when I was a child, was a very not sober alcoholic um, and had a pretty massive drinking problem that led to, I mean, serious consequences in his own life. But as a result of that, Um, While my parents um, would try to speak well of him and we would sometimes, you know, we would still visit him and try to spend time with him, we could never spend time alone with him. We could never spend the night at their house. There were all kinds of things that otherwise would have been a normal part of showing him honor that we didn't do because it was not safe. And that is a sad but real consequence of his sin. And then there are even more extreme situations of that kind of sin where honoring God does sometimes mean largely ending relationship. And I want to be careful here because this is a rare thing, right? And sometimes I think people over-apply this sort of reality, but it's also a real thing. There are situations of abuse where people use their authority in ways to hurt others and destroy others. Um, And in those situations um, where people are so dangerous to us and our safety and ourselves that we can't have relationships, then we do have to separate from them. In particular, if someone who is abusive tries to use commandments like this one to excuse their abuse, which is a thing that really happens. Um, In situations, for example, like I have had to deal with situations where, you know, where a parent will physically hurt their children and use this sort of commandment to to try to justify what they're doing. The, The godly response in that situation is to honor God and leave them and call the police. Um, Actually, just to be very clear about that, because it is a big deal, even though, like I said, this is rare. We're going to talk in a minute. The Bible entrusts people with authority from God, right? God has all authority, and he entrusts authorities. And one of the things that means is that those who get authority have to answer to God for how they use it. And it is very important for us to recognize that that means that people who would be tyrants— and who would be abusive with their authority are going to have to answer to the Lord someday for that abuse. And that is not going to be a pretty conversation. With that said, though, it is hard, right, as we think about some of those complexities to know how to walk through that. So let me join that discussion of honoring our parents, even when they're unfaithful sometimes, with a last reality about honoring our parents. And this is one that really is going to, I think, challenge all of us, and provide a sort of comfort to, especially if some of that stuff we just said is part of your story. One of the teachings of the New Testament is that while this commandment does still apply, our Christian faith will in fact often (laughs) cause issues within our families. Consider this from Matthew 10. 
Jesus says, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says that, right? He does not mean that we don't have to still honor our parents anymore. In fact, at other places in the New Testament, he explicitly says that commandment still applies. But what he's saying is that um, he is, he recognizes coming with his kingdom in a way that will change our priorities and that can, in fact, cause conflicts within our families and cause struggle within our families. Think about that friend that I mentioned and his wife and the conflict they had with her father. Um, That is a reality that Jesus recognizes. In fact, he insists that we have to be willing to let that kind of conflict come into our families as we follow him. He puts it starkly in the Gospel of Luke. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now that is strong language, hate. And again, Jesus is not saying that we're not supposed to still honor and respect our families. But rather, he's speaking to this group of people who say, man, you know, we want to follow Jesus, but we want our parents to always like us and approve of all of our life choices we want our inheritance, and, you know, we want, we want them to watch our grandkids, right? We want these benefits of this family. And Jesus says that ultimately what we are called to do is love him and love God in such a way that even as we do love and honor and value earthly things, they're relativized so much by our love for God that the world might view them as hate. And that is a hard thing for us to hear, for all of us. Although maybe I think there's also a comfort even in that, if that has been your experience. If in seeking to obey Jesus, you've ended up in a place where your family has kind of turned against you or ostracized you. But it also comes with a promise. Jesus says this. He says, here's from Mark 10. He says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So here's the question. What is Jesus talking about? What does it mean we get a hundred brothers and sisters and mothers in this age? The answer is that Jesus is talking about the church. The Bible over and over describes us as God's family. Not in a way that means we aren't also a part of our biological families, which we are, but in a way that does mean that we're supposed to find a sort of love and support and belonging in the church that will help us and support us even when we have to face faithlessness and failure within our families. That is a good hope to those of us that struggle with that kind of brokenness in our families. It's also a challenge to all of us in the church to recognize that we're supposed to be supporting each other in that kind of way. That we should have a sort of closeness and, so, you know, and care for one another. That you can say, like, man, it hurts me that I've lost this connection with my parents, with my siblings because of Jesus. But I also recognize that I have this family of God that loves and supports me even in the midst of it. That last note about that family we have in the church is starting to bleed into something we should probably name. If you remember, in each of our sermons, we've said there's a kind of narrow application of the commandment, which is true and specific for us, but then it's also meant to cover a category of things, 
us and call us to a larger set of obediences within the Christian life. Um, and so we're starting to bleed into that category, so let's just name it. What is the category of sins and obedience the fifth commandment addresses? Um, well, the answer is that the fifth commandment calls us to honor all authorities and to exercise authority honorably. As we roll it out just from how we treat our parents, it calls us to honor all authorities and to exercise our authority honorably. Let's talk about each of those. First of all, it calls us to honor all authorities. Scripture views the family as the sort of basic building block of society, the most kind of basic unit within which we, um, we find a place. But the authority relationship there, in many ways, it also views as blown up and enlarged in the larger world. So, for example, the fifth commandment would call us to recognize that we're supposed to honor the state and our authorities in government. The Bible is full of commandments. We heard that one from 1 Peter already about honoring the emperor. Or take this from Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It says we are to pray for them, as Paul reminds Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, that could be a whole sermon in itself. And in fact, it has been here, a whole sermon in itself. You can go back when we preached on Romans 13, and we actually spent a whole sermon kind of digging into all of that you want to look online at our past sermons. The one big question that we need to answer, because everyone asks it, is that uh, just like in the family, the state's authority does not transcend God, and so if they call us to disobey the Lord, then we ought not submit. That actually happens in the book of Acts, when the government tries to forbid the apostles from evangelizing and sharing Jesus with people in Acts 5. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And yes, in a democracy, sub being subject to the authorities and honoring them doesn't mean that we can't disagree or hold different opinions. Is there something I need to do with this microphone? Okay. Um, you know, right, we are free to kind of debate different issues and disagree about, you know, who to vote for, things like that. But the Bible does command us to speak of and think of those in authority that are respectful to their office and honoring to them as persons. And that is almost entirely absent from our current political moment. Um, it is a violation of the fifth commandment to ridicule or dismiss the authority of anyone in office, even if we disagree with them. And importantly, that needs to be like all of us are thinking, yeah, those people really need to hear that, right? But I mean, but look, here's what it means in an American democracy. When we talk about those in authority, that's not just one person, right? That's all of our elected officials. And so that means that if you speak in a way that is disrespectful or dishonoring to our president or to the Speaker of the House of Representatives, you are equally um, guilty of violating this commandment. And that's pretty much everyone that engages in public conversation about politics in America. It is, it is really countercultural to think this way. And I often fail at doing this in, you know, in 
private conversations to be when I reflect on my life. But we as Christians should speak in a way of all those that God has placed in those places that they would recognize as seeking to be honoring and respectful to them. The fifth commandment also calls us to honor those in authority um, in the workplace. There's another area where it can be hard. In our reading from Colossians 3, Paul speaks to, to slaves and servants, but in his world, because of the way it worked, you pretty much, you had slaves and servants that worked for other people, and then you had people that owned land and kind of ran things. And so, really, when we think about that, in many ways, it's employees, right? If you're an employee of someone, work for someone, it would apply to you. But he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. So we should respect our bosses and our employers and try to honor them in what we do, in what we say, even when they're not around and won't hear about it. And the fifth commandment also includes honoring authorities within the church. So the letter to the Hebrews, the author says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God has appointed elders to lead within the local church, and we are called to respect the authority of those elders together um, in the local church. And elders should respect each other's authority. We're also a part of a denomination, which is made up of the elders of many churches that gather together, and we're supposed to respect you know, the, the authority of that denomination. And again, all of that is in obedience to the Lord, right? Just like in each of these other instances of authority, it's possible for those people to move beyond what God says. And in those cases, we don't um, have to obey them. But inasmuch as they're being faithful to the Lord, we certainly do. So this commandment includes how we treat everyone in authority, and we're called to seek to honor them. And then inasmuch as we have authority, it also calls us to exercise our authority on earth. Those of us that have authority in different ways are called to use it in ways that honor God. Parents, like we already said, have a job to do with their children. We are supposed to, to raise them in the, the way they used to say is the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're supposed to raise them in a way that teaches them to follow Jesus and exalts him and instructs them in what his word says. Um, and in addition, we're supposed to treat them kindly. In Colossians 3, which we read, it tells children to obey their parents. And then it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Or if you're an employer, Paul gives instructions to servants and slaves in how to treat their masters. And then he says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. That last verse is actually especially important. It highlights something we mentioned earlier, but that is that God is the one who ultimately has all authority, right? He's, he's the boss of the universe, and inasmuch as each of us has authority within our homes, within our workplaces, within the government, within our churches, all of us have a delegated authority from God, and that means that all of us are accountable to God for how we use our authority. Authority always comes with responsibility. And that means that if parents or managers or politicians or church leaders or anyone else that has authority abuses that authority that they have or uses it selfishly or disobediently or in a way that doesn't glorify and exalt God, 
then they're going to have to answer to him for how they used it. And that is an important point for us that is worth dwelling on. One of the distinctive claims of Scripture is that God's authority, which is what's delegated to us, but God's authority and our good and flourishing always go hand in hand. That um, we often don't see it because we're sinners, but what God commands and the ways that God leads and the ways he uses his authority are always ultimately for our good, in as much as, you know, we, we, we follow him. Now, it can be painful hard in the moment, uh, you know, the things that he works, but his ultimate goal is to grow us and deepen us and save us and bless us. And that means when we think about how we use our authority, that we are also called to use it so that those who are under us flourish and experience good. Our job as parents is not to, to raise our children in a way that makes them convenient for us or in a way that makes us look good. But our job as parents is to raise our children in a way that helps them to flourish as the creatures God has made them to be, to bless and care for them. Our job, like if you're, if you're a manager or an employer and you have people that work for you, part of your calling is to figure out how to help those people flourish, right? To figure out what their gifts are and their abilities are and to help them use those better and grow in their ability to, to thrive in the workplace. Um, if, I mean, my job as a pastor, right? The job of pastors is not to build little empires for themselves, although unfortunately sometimes they behave that way. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints so that y'all can do the work of ministry, right? That you can go out in the world and serve Jesus and bless Jesus in the world. And inasmuch as I'm failing to do that and instead calling attention to myself or seeking to serve myself, I'm abusing my authority. All of us must serve God in the way we use. And that actually, as I reflect on it, reminds me of maybe the most beautiful truth about all of this, which is that just like in the other Ten Commandments, the best way we see that modeled is in the life of Jesus. Jesus is the best possible example I can think of for living out both the respect for authority and the right using of authority that we're called to. In the first place, Jesus keeps this commandment in relation to his earthly parents. He models it as a child. Luke 2, for example, says that then Jesus went down to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was obedient to them. He modeled it as an adult. Even though there were times in his ministry when God's calling on his life put tension with his family, he always sought to respect them. And on the cross, at the end of things, Jesus, it says, he saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. As he is dying, Jesus is still seeking to care for and honor his mother and provide for her as he's gone. So Jesus models that with his earthly family. But more than that, he models it with his heavenly father. Jesus is the son of God. He is God himself, but even within the Trinity, when we talk about the Father and the Son, one of the main things we're talking about is a relationship they have to each other, where the Son seeks to serve and respect the authority of the Father. And Jesus talks this way all the time in his ministry. First of all, he stresses that his job is not to gain honor for himself, but to bring honor to the Father. So like John 12, he says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour? And Jesus is talking about the cross. He says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's what he seeks in the cross. Indeed, Jesus views his whole ministry as about valuing and honoring the Father. Take this. A little later in that chapter, he says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus says, My job in this world is just to say what my Father says. Indeed, the ultimate um, obedience that Jesus shows is the cross. In the garden, Jesus is about to be crucified, and Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off this guy's ear, getting ready to defend Jesus, and Jesus says this. He says, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Honoring his Father even in there. He embodies perfect honor for God's authority over him, and he likewise embodies perfect wielding of authority over us. Jesus, in that role, is still God. Um, he still has authority over everyone that he faces. In that same moment with Peter, he says, Don't you realize I have authority? I could call down angels, armies of angels, and destroy all these guys if I wanted to. But Jesus, as God, chooses to use his power and authority to serve us who are under him. Ultimately, to offer up his own life to die for those of us who are under him. Jesus is the perfect example of the reality that God is a loving Father who seeks our good and our flourishing. And he demonstrates that in the way that he uses his authority to arrange for his own death on our behalf. All of that means two things at once. It means that Jesus is our example as we seek to keep this command. When we say, what does it mean to respect those in authority over us? What does it mean for us to wield authority in a way that is honorable? Jesus provides an example for that. But more than that, this also means that Jesus is our shelter when we fail and break this commandment. Because all of us do break it. We have all, in different ways, dishonored our earthly parents. I know that I have. This is a hard sermon as I sit under it and reflect on the ways my teenage rebellion, even as an adult, that I don't live out and embody all of this. Um, certainly, all of us have also uh, treated other authorities in the world with disrespect. And many of us have dishonored others as we've been given God-given authority and failed to use it for their good. Ultimately, we are all rebels in our sin against our Heavenly Father. But the good news is that Jesus, in obedience to his Father and wielding his authority as the Son, well, he died for us in that failure. He drank that cup of the Father on our behalf. He swallowed up the judgment we deserve for our rebellion, and instead he gives us free love that welcomes us in as sons and daughters of God. That is our hope. God and Father, I have a lot to learn from you about what it means to be a father, a lot to learn from Jesus about what it means to be a son. I know that all of us do. I pray that you would teach us to grow in our honor and respect for those that we interact with, and authority over us, and our love and kindness to those we have authority over. 
pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.